May God the Holy Spirit remain living and active in your heart, reminding you that you are, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, a sinless child of God, and thereby also reminding you that you re represent him to the world. Amen. Dear fellow sinners who through the epiphany have come to know your Savior, Jesus. Those of you who have attended services here for any length of time, I guess, might well have noticed that I don't tend to follow the accepted or prescribed process for public speaking, the Toastmasters program or methodology. I don't know how many are familiar with Toastmasters. It's it's an organization of different people that's supposed to train speakers in how they're supposed to present a topic. According to the Toastmasters book, you are supposed to begin by telling your audience what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then end by telling them what you told them. I don't do that. My assumption, my hope, is that you will get it the first time. And then I assume that by the third time, you will have drifted off into, I wonder what's for dinner land. You probably also noticed that I don't typically use theme and parts in the bulletin for a variety of reasons. And you may have also noticed that the theme is really not a theme so much as it is a title and often a rather vague title. There is a method to the madness. The title is supposed to elicit curiosity. I want you to see that and wonder what's coming next. Now, you probably noticed that the title for this morning's service is even more vague than usual. One word, epiphany. And I'd be curious to know what came to mind when you first saw read that title. And I suspect I know. Nothing. Nothing at all. You saw the title, Epiphany, huh? And that in itself is an indication of a problem, isn't it? Because this is not only an event, a specific day, it's an entire season of the church year and historically, we learned that Epiphany was actually a more important celebration to early Christians than was Christmas. And yet, we don't have any idea, usually. It takes us a while, if we ever get it. <clears throat> what is this thing called Epiphany, and what is it all about? So that's our goal for this morning, to look at this word, this Epiphany, and to see what it is. And there you go. I just made a good Toastmaster beginning because I told you what we're going to talk about. The text that will guide us this morning, that word of God, is found recorded in Mark's Gospel, the first chapter, beginning there with the fourth verse. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is God's word, given to us by verbal inspiration, preserved for thousands of years, delivered safely intact to us, with the intention that we would learn, that we would grow from this word of God, trusting the source, trusting everything we read in it, we ask our God to bless us through this word as we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. You can answer for yourself what came to mind when you saw that one word, epiphany. And again, my, my fear is that not much came to mind at all. So we ask the question again, what is it? Is it... Is it a word? Is it a, a, an event, a day? But then it's a whole season of the church here. So what are we supposed to think? What, what is encapsulated or should be in our minds when we see that word epiphany? What is it? The word itself means manifestation or appearing. And by the way, just by the way, there is a really good article in this month's Lutheran Spokesman on this. Epiphany, and the title of the article is The Essential Epiphany, because there are epiphanies that we have in life, aren't there? It's <clears throat> like when you're reading your Bible, and suddenly you have an epiphany where you understand a Bible passage. That's what that means. Oh, or it applies specifically to whatever is going on in your life at that moment. It's suddenly, oh, as he said in the article, the author said, it clicks all of a sudden. Or, on a lesser scale, you have an epiphany when you, you, you get a clever joke. Where somebody and everybody's laughing and you're like, oh, oh yeah, epiphany. But those are just minor. The essential epiphany is a revelation of Jesus as Savior for all mankind. Now we celebrate this in the church with a number of different texts. Actually, three events are typically used to teach us something about Epiphany. The wise men being led by the star, the changing of water into wine in Cana, and our text for this morning the baptism of Jesus. And they were all, they're all used for a specific purpose, something that teaches us something about 
Epiphany. So the first, the star that led the wise men, or the magi to Jesus, they were Gentiles. And that taught us that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. The changing of water into wine, Jesus manifested, he made known Jesus to the world by doing miracles through him. It showed he was something different than all the other false messiahs that had come first. In our text, Jesus was manifested to the world by God's own voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So Epiphany is that manifestation of Jesus as that which he was, Lord, Savior to the world. That doesn't really answer a question, does it? Why was it that Epiphany was held in such high regard by early Christians, and some still use it as the heart of their Christmas time celebration? But why has it fallen largely into disuse among us? Why do we pay so little attention? Epiphany, after all, was, it always falls on January 6th, yesterday, but I would suspect very few gave it a thought. The answer has to do with our modern culture, as opposed to the early Christians. You and I have never known a time when we were not American citizens, and therefore endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. We have this assumption, this arrogant assumption, that we are entitled. And therefore, when we apply that to the coming of Jesus, of course we're entitled to be among those for whom Jesus came and died. But do you realize that that wasn't always the case? In fact, with the early apostles even, they believed that the Messiah was coming only for the Jews. You remember the, the account of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well? I know, I know, Jesus is only for the, it came of the Jews and for the Jews. And then the woman who is sick, yeah, I know, it's not right to give, give um, the, the bread that was meant for the children to the dogs, the little lap dogs, but can I have the crumbs? She was so worried about her daughter, please humbly just let me have the scraps. I know salvation is of the Jews. Even the apostles. You remember how even after Jesus died, rose, and ascended, Peter still believed that it was just for the Jews. Jesus came only for the children of Israel. And he had to be shown in that vision with a sheet being let down and the unclean animals that, all right, there's somebody at the door immediately following. They're going to ask you to come to a Gentile and share with them the gospel. So that fixed it, right? Then they all knew. Okay, good. No. In fact, they were so upset with what Peter did in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and telling them that Jesus is also your Savior that they called him to Jerusalem and said, you give an account. What did you do? And Peter told them, well, why would I not do that? Because the same manifestation of the Holy Spirit 
that you had was also manifested with them. In other words, they got it from God, this proof that God also was their Savior. And then that was the end of it, right? No, you remember their response? When they heard these things, they fell silent. That tells you the depth of, of their beliefs or conviction on this. Here's irrefutable proof. And you would think they'd say, awesome. So everybody, not just Jews, everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. No, they fell silent. Hmm. Okay. And then what did they say? And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So that was the end of it finally. Nope. Because we read a little bit later, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. That's why to the earliest Christians, when they heard the message from Paul and also from the other apostles, but primarily Paul, his, his mission was to the Gentiles. And when they heard, you too are included. In humility and ecstatic joy, they praised God saying, us too? Jesus didn't just die for the Jews, he died for us also? And then Paul, obviously, and the others, yeah. He paid the sin debt of the entire world, including you. You see how our sense of entitlement works against us? This idea that, well, of course, if Jesus came for any, I would be included. We're steeped in this self-love, this idea that we are somehow worthy. We are deserving of anything from our God beginning with his son paying also our sin debt. I wonder how many of you have ever seen an example of someone who maybe they receive a gift or they're accorded some honor, some plaque or some, some recognition that they've done something great. And they, they receive it not with humble thanks, but with sort of a, yeah, I, I deserve this. It's about time. Or some little brat who gets a present, and it's like, well, yeah, thanks. Boy, whatever. I mean, you could have spent a little more. It's, it's really unbecoming, isn't it? it? It's not winsome at all. And yet I wonder sometimes if that's not how God sees our reaction to his gift of his son when we treat it as though we are entitled to it, as, that, as though we are somehow deserving, or that if God sent his son into the world, of course he would include me. That's a message of law. It is for me that I am not like those early Christians, that I have to remember that I have no right to demand anything from God or expect anything from God, to get to that place where I recognize that I am absolutely unworthy and undeserving. 
And that takes some work to get to that real place. I do not deserve. Because then, when you do receive, everything, anything that you receive is amazing. Thank you, God. Any presumption of anything in connection with God's grace is wrong. In fact, when we look at that definition of grace, open your mind, you can, God's undeserved love for sinners. What's the most important word in there? Some could argue, but the one we focus on this morning is undeserved. In fact, I would say that if you would remove that word, most people in society would embrace the definition if it were just God's love for sinners. That's that entitlement thing again. Yeah, that's God's love for sinners. Worthy. But when you add that word undeserved and really come to grips with what it means, that's when grace really becomes grace. Undeserved love. What really therefore sets the Christian faith apart and the gospel in particular is that word undeserved deserved. And from there we can begin to see how and why those earliest Christians came to treasure both the event and the season of Epiphany. They truly came to grips with that undeserved quality that they possessed. It's interesting you think about how they first received that, isn't it? When they were first taught that prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, and were included in that, would they could think of and regard Almighty Creator God as their Father, approachable, tender-hearted, loving them, wanting them to be saved, and when they hear that, having already gotten to that, I am not deserving, how amazing that would sound to their ears, how that would fill them with joy. How could it not? This God that I could not know, except he revealed himself to me, this God whom I could not please because I had nothing but sin to offer, this God has sent his son to pay my sins, and through that payment has paid my sin debt. And then he brought me to faith in that. I believe it now to be true because the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit was sent into my heart to convert me. And now I believe, and therefore God says, every one of my sins is gone. And I'm your father. Ask me anything you want. Talk to me whenever you want. I'll hear you. That's the kind of joy you and I want. That's, that's where we want to be with Epiphany, to recognize our total unworthiness and how God just gave it to us in His Son. But just here we have another danger we need to identify an example of the very thing that we want to correct. 
Because just here when we're discussing the undeserved component or nature of God's grace, his love, we can easily find ourselves trying to earn that undeserved love. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means when you hear the law, for example, this law that we take for granted what we could not, should not, when we take for granted that Jesus came also for me, when we take for granted he paid also for my sins, we see a flaw, we see an error, we see sin in our lives. And the danger is then that we feel that this is just another law. In other words, I have to correct this in me. I have to change so that I will be more deserving of God's love. Or I will in, thereby in some way earn but that is, we have to be driven right back to undeserved. You can't earn undeserved. You can't become worthy of that for which you are completely unworthy. So when we hear of the sin that's in our lives, this sin or any other one, we have to continually remind ourselves we aren't attempting to correct this to pay God. We're not trying to amend our sinful lives so that we become deserving, so that we become worthy. We're doing it only to say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for me. I am and will always be unworthy. But now you've created something in me. You've created a new man. And this new man loves your way. This new man wants to say thank you. Now, you know that two sides, don't you? You know when you haven't beaten that old Adam into submission, when that old Adam is ruling, that's when you have these thoughts about, maybe I can do this, or if I do this, I can always repent later, or if you just push from your mind what you know is the right thing when you're tempted to sin, and you just decide, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to do this. You're not being led by the new man. Then you're being controlled by that old Adam. That old Adam has saddled you. It's got its bit in your mouth, and it is driving you where you want to go. And you also know when you're being led by that new man. When you're fighting against that. When you're using God's law, God says, you shall not do this, you shall do that, to beat into submission that old Adam. So as that applies to our celebration of Epiphany, this isn't a law that you have to follow, a commandment that you have to keep in order to be deserving or to be lovable. It's just another way when we put on that new man that we see that this is what God wants in my life. He wants me to recognize that I brought nothing to this table. I didn't have anything to offer him to make me lovable or worthy or deserving. But now I want to say thank you with my life. I want to conform my life to his will. What does that look like? We find the answer in his law. We heard about it in our second scripture reading. Paul's saying you died to sin. When you were baptized, when you were brought to faith, you died to sin. Why would you want to go back to it anymore? 
That new man in you loathes it. Put on that new man day by day. God grant then finally us a greater appreciation of his epiphany. Not only did he come, he made himself known, and he made himself known as including you and me in his salvation plan. And let this be our prayer. Heavenly Father, through your Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with an ever greater appreciation for the true nature of your grace, your undeserved love. Amen.